Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Saywood on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast, an independent Formula One podcast that aims to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute and a wide array of F1 subject matter experts that cover every aspect of F1 from racing to politics, tech, news and business. This show is safe for work. That means we're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm your host, Richard Spanners, ready. And as usual, just a little bit of Missed Apex admin. I'm so very proud of the show that Matt Summerfield and Matt Trumpets put together for Tech Time yesterday. So make sure you go to MissedApexPodcast.com and catch up with that. I am now unashamed to say Missed Apex Podcast has the best F1 tech journalist alive today in Matthew Summerfield. As far as podcasting goes, hands down, the only place to go for F1 tech in podcast land. Uh, And also, we are going to do a Monaco GP race review on a Sunday for once. Even though it's a bank holiday, we've uh, asked the long-haired colonels at home, and they have ordered us to do it on Sunday instead of Monday. But this week, I am joined for the 18th time by Paddock Talisman Joe the Blade Sayward. How's it going, Joe? The Blade. Oh, you do come up with some lines. I'm, I'm very well, thank you, apart from the fact I'm sick. But uh, I'm in uh, I'm in the Cote d'Azur and I'm sitting uh, in a rented apartment. Well, actually, apartment. It's a it's a house, and it's jolly nice and it's jolly pretty. And there's loads of olive trees and terraces and super views, and um, it's lovely, really. But I've been ill today, which is a bore. If you're going to be ill anywhere, I suppose in a lovely picturesque holiday house in the south of France is better than I don't know, Brighton. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. I've been here for, um, I got here on Saturday, actually. So it, today being Monday, I think. Is that right? In, yes. in worky land, not in superstar journalist land. It could be any day in Provence. Yeah, it's true. It could. You're right. Anyway, it is, there's a couple more days left before we have to go to work. So, um, hopefully, in fact, the weather's supposed to be bad tomorrow. Uh, today and tomorrow, which is really boring. Um, but hopefully for the rest of the week after that, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, we'll have a nice time. But I've noticed that you seem a bit more productive on your blog. Is that just like the perfect atmosphere to to blog and write from? No, I was just lying in bed, literally. Um, and things were happening. and I was bored. So I thought I'd just um, get some things written down. So added to which the Latifi story, which I wrote today, um, was actually written earlier and used, well, not all of it, I changed it a bit, but it was on my newsletter explaining all the goings on. So uh, because I I haven't got lots of energy today, I just sort of um, nicked it and uh, gave it a quick brush up and uh, so everyone can know exactly what's going on with McLaren. So. See, I'm I'm tempted to buy your newsletter because you get some of the news a little bit earlier than it breaks in the mainstream press. You get a bit more of an idea of what's going on in this sort of wide F1 business landscape. If I pick up 
a subscription to that, do I do I get back issues? No. Oh, come on. Mates rates. I press no, record you, for you. you. You get a year, so it's up to you, oh, isn't right. it? So um uh, yeah, you can request, I suppose. But having said that, you know, it's uh it, it's all it goes out of date. News goes out of date, doesn't it? Even fake news goes out of date, apparently. So um yeah, it's it's uh it's just an in it's what we used to call serious news in the old days, really. It's just it's not that he said, she said, you know. I'm going to be world champion, says Roman Grosjean, kind of stories you see everywhere else. Or Ferrari denies that Mercedes has denied, you know, this sort of stuff. Which is all just tosh, really, isn't it? And who wants to read that rubbish anyway? See, it's that kind of informed journalism, which is why you need a, a proper nickname. And I'm, I'm torn between Bam Bam, Hands of Steel, and this week's The Blade. The Blade. I think Bam Bam's terrible. Hands of Steel is miserable. Um, and so I just think, you know... Uh, who knows? You'll think of something. This so. calls for a Twitter poll, Joe, because, you know, you're an international superstar. We were talking about selfies uh, offline. Uh, I've had one person ask me for a selfie. I felt like a millionaire. It must happen to you all the time. Not all the time, but just occasionally now and then. So, I mean, it, I think I would go mad if I was a driver and get asked as many times as they do. Um, but they always sort of smile and nod. But then they are getting paid humongous sums of money to be smiley and nodding. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, I was looking today... I saw on the internet, the IndyCar drivers, they had to, today, all turn up in this room. I think there were three rooms, actually, and sign hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of autographs, um, every one of them. So 33, I don't know if there's any room left for the pictures, but there you are. They're all busy signing away. Um, and, uh, I mean, anyone, Kimi Räikkönen, I don't think I've ever seen him sign anything. So if you've really? got a Kimi Räikkönen autograph, you're a very lucky person. But probably it's just a cross, you know. Are you, I bet you give it a proper signature, and I know you really appreciate your listenership and the people who follow you. Yeah, I do. But, you know, you have to be a bit careful, because otherwise they'll put it on a check, won't they? You know, so. Well, that's what I was planning to do with my signed copy of Fascinating Facts, Joe. So there you oh, go. Okay. Well, apparently you're supposed to have an official uh, signature, and then the one you use for checks, ah. so to avoid that happening. But I'm not that clever yet, so... Anyway, there you are. So here I am in Cote d'Azur, and I, when I when I rented the place the other day, um, the man who owns the house was telling me about he used to know a racing driver, um, and his name was Pierre Veron, after whom the Bugatti is named, who had a garage in this little town here, and um, and uh, the whole of the Bugatti team used to come and stay. So that's lovely. And this man actually. He, he said to me, I was at Monaco in 55 and watched Ascari fall into the harbour. And I thought, wow, how can you do that? That's, that's quite old, isn't it? But he remembers, he said I was very young, but he remembers going to Monaco in 55 and watching Alberto Ascari fall into the harbour in his Alfa Romeo. Or was it a Ferrari? Sorry, it was a Ferrari. Get it right, Joe. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you if you have any particularly fond memories yourself from such a historic track. But before you tell me what it is, I just <laughs> want to share my selfie technique. I'm over 35, so first thing. Chin straight out, okay? Over 35. No one needs to see that. So that, that's a top tip. You've been going to Monaco since 1988. It's in... No, no, no I, was, I was here before then. Oh. I was here in 84 and watched the famous race with uh, Senna and Prost and Beloff, which was a terrific event. I got very wet, I have to say. I was here reporting the Formula 3 at that point. Um, I didn't have access to the Formula 1 paddock, but I could watch the race. So, And then I was here... Uh, yeah, from 88 onwards, so I saw all of those. I saw Senna crashing at the end of that, uh, towards the end of the race with a massive lead. Um, most of the best memories of Monte Carlo are actually, to be honest, they're all you know, what happens off track because it's all a bit wild and wacky, particularly when you're younger. And there was one year when I was, um, I was staying in a hotel in Monaco in the days when you still could. And um, every night I came back to the hotel room and I thought, the alarm clock's broken. It always says 3.42. How can it say 3.42 every day? Um, and that was just because I was out carousing and having fun. And I, and I bet you haven't slowed down a bit, Joe. Uh, yes. Well, a little bit, you know. So I, I moved out of Monaco about 15 years ago because the, the prices got so silly. And, uh, and I've been having a lovely time sort of staying in all the lovely places like Beaulieu, which in translation, as you know, well, you English would say Beaulieu, but uh, Beaulieu-sur-Mer is, uh, it means beautiful place, Beaulieu. And uh, it is a very beautiful place, home of many a racing driver, and Ettore Bugatti lived there too. So uh, there's, there's, there's history everywhere down this coastline. This is, all, this is motor racing 
This is most racing heaven here. Now, I was going to say, is that part of the appeal to you? I know you were talking today about how... Um, so this is on your blog at F one Type that in and you'll come to your new home of your blog. Um, you're talking about how, you know, people who think Monaco is boring uh, either haven't been there or just don't appreciate what the drivers are doing. So my, my, I know you find it appealing and I'd like to know the reasons you find it appealing. But do you have any sympathy for the fans such as myself that are into it, aren't really petrol heads, aren't into the glamour, are there for the very kind of sporting element of the wheel-to-wheel racing who have to kind of sit back and take a back seat for a week? No, I don't think so. I think that you, you have to appreciate what these guys do. And you don't appreciate on the telly because you, you can't see. Telly always broadens everything out and flattens everything. It's and, you does, don't, yeah. and, you, and you don't see just how close. You know, they come around the corners, they clang the barriers, they keep going. They, they, they do remarkable things with racing cars. Now, you can say, yes, there's not enough racing. It's not wheel-to-wheel, blah-de-blah. But it is still an amazing show. And, and those who've been here recognize that and those who haven't say it's not fair and a lot of them say it's not fair we can't afford it you can afford it you know if you book easyjet early enough and the french aren't on strike brackets <laughs> whenever that may be um you know you can get down to the Cote d'Azur quite cheaply and there's a train this is the glory of monte carlo you arrive by train you can stay in monton you can stay in italy you can stay in nice you can stay in Cannes. you can stay wherever you want uh, and there are places that are relatively cheap so you know, people say it's too expensive. Well, give it a try and find out. You know, that's what that's what um, my advice would be. Um, the worst case scenario. And the other thing is you can, under the, under the palace, there is this great big rock. And you can sit up there. It's like a big grandstand. And it's cheap in comparison to, um, if you want to buy a proper grandstand, you're going you're to have to mortgage the house, perhaps. But um, you can get and see it uh, at a very sensible price. So, Check it out. Look look around on that thing called Google and you will find that it's actually not as complicated as it may seem. If I brave this, if I do this and I decide, right, I'm going to go down there, presumably in the race, obviously you're in the journalist's area, but for practice sessions and some of the junior formulas, you must be out and about looking at the on-track action. Where am I going? Where shall I head for? Where do I want to sit? Well, it depends, as I said, how much money you've got. If you want to, if you want to see things cheaply, you go up onto what they call the Rocher, the rock. And you can watch it all from up there. You can see about you know, two thirds of the track from up on the rock, um, and it's it's not very expensive. But if you want to uh, spend loads of money, um, it's actually more difficult when you stay in the fancy grandstands. There's a couple of grandstands where you can see a lot of the harbour area uh, around the swimming pool and stuff, um, but they are jolly expensive. So, but it is you know it's a lifetime experience. This thing it's one, something you do once in your life, like. Um, jumping out of airplanes or whatever it is you want to do, um, and it's, it's it's quite it's quite well. Why not? It's only, it's only, what's the worst that can possibly happen? Death, Joe. You can literally die. No, no, no. You're missing out here. What the worst that can probably happen is you land on a helicopter. Actually, that's that's probably nastier. Yeah, but, helicopters uh, are whirling balls of death. The <laughs> chat room's got some good suggestions for your nickname. Fonseca says, "Joe, say word." Quite like it, Mike Doyle. Fingers of iron. Don Burn, Joe, sick burn, Sayward. 2212, Joe, inside scoop, Sayward. Joe, no, I'm not reading that one. Joe, five hours after the race, here's GP plus, Sayward. Doesn't really no, roll that's, off the that's tongue. That's good. I like that one. Actually, <laughs> five hours is a lazy day. So there you are. And also, the chat room is asking, what's a check, Uncle Joe? <laughs> what's a check? <laughs> All right, then, look. So, oh, never mind. So I'll you're going to be watching today. a lot of the racing action from Monaco. You've earned it. Well done to you, Joe. Some of us mugs, though, are going to be stuck at home. And last weekend, or the weekend before last, lots of us tried to watch F1 TV. And I like the way they're going. I like the concept. However, as a launch day, it didn't go as smoothly as they'd have wanted. It, and, you know, they had to end up refunding people. Are people set back by that within FIA or are they, you know, encouraged by the things they got right? I don't think, you know, most things that are new have glitches and, uh, you know, you don't want them. But if they happen, they happen. You're talking about something that's never been done before with very large numbers of people. Um, and, you know, they need to make sure they have stable signals for everybody. And sometimes that's a problem. So I don't think they're worried about it because I think they realize that the, the product is really good. Um, and people will come to it, you know, and they'll say, as I've just said, you know, 
the first time, sometimes there are glitches. End of story. Yeah, it's just, it's a shame so, that it was like it acted like a live beta because I feel sorry for the people who that was their only means of watching the race, the only thing they paid for, and then they didn't get to watch the race. I mean, that would that would really hurt me. Yeah, I can see that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to give them a little bit of leeway to get it right. And in the years to come, when it's all right and work, working perfectly, you'll go, wow, this is really cool. Because, you know, as yeah. I understand it, and to be honest, because I'm there, I haven't actually looked at it. But you can switch around between the cars, the different drivers, yeah. the different data feeds, cameras all over the shop. You know, it's it's there's a whole lot of stuff going on, which, to be fair to Bernie Eccleston, he tried in the 1990s. He was just way ahead of his game, far too far ahead to make it work. And uh, so basically um, gave it all up. And uh, now the technology has caught up with the ideas. And they're, I even, have, yeah. they're even doing virtual advertising now, I noticed, um, with advertising banners um, stuck in places they aren't really there. I have to say, somebody got upset with me for interrupting you a lot, Joe. It is just, there is a slight Skype lag. So sometimes I think you're finished and then you come in with another incredible and fantastic point and I do try to stop talking in time. Uh, the chat room is not as sympathetic as you're being though, Joe. Uh, for example, uh, NB is saying there's glitches, then there's F1 TV. I'm so bankrupt, I can't even afford that. Uh, why did they not just do a limited rollout in one country? Who's calling the shots on this? It was really ambitious in scale and scope and I'm trying to give them grace because the end game seems like it's going to be so good. But, I mean, they must have been confident that they were going to do it to just roll out on a worldwide scale. Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the technical problems are all about the scale of it. And they are rolling it out in small numbers because not every country can get it. And if if you're complaining from England... If I were you, I'd be quiet because you're not allowed to have it in England at the moment. So. And I would never dream of attempting to get it from England. But my friend, my very close friend, did attempt it and on his first attempt admitted defeat that he couldn't get past their attempts to geo-lock um, the, the stream. So at the moment, even though we all sort well, of smirked about it. What did he do? Did, did, did he go VPN elsewhere? I'll, I'll have to text him for the finer details, of course, Joe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically tried to circumvent the GPN, appear from another country. Um, they had people, they, had, they said you have to also had a payment method from the same country that you appeared in, that your IP mm-hmm. appeared in. So that's mm-hmm. an extra hurdle. I think very few people would bother getting over that hurdle. But even if you do they are still successfully tracking the VPM and the website isn't working if you're not where you say you're meant to be. So that's very interesting that they've managed to find a a good fix. And I haven't read anything on Reddit of people kind of routinely and easily being able to access the stream from where they're not meant to. So round one to the FIA. It's not the FIA. It's a Formula One group, but minor point. The FIA is the regulator. The Formula One group is the commercial exploiter. So anyway, moving swiftly on from that, don't want to sound like I'm giving lessons. Do give us lessons. That's the only uh, reason people listen well, I've in. Ju- I've just given you a lesson then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I know where to move on to, right? I, I want to talk about young drivers. I actually wanted to talk to you about young drivers last week and who we might see coming to the fore. But there's there's been quite a lot of news about young drivers lately because I don't know if you caught it, Joe. Obviously, you were tuning into BBC Radio Norfolk where for 10 minutes... I was their F1 expert on George Russell talking about his chances of getting into F1. The first steps towards radio stardom, Joe. What can I say? And George George is on his first steps to Formula One stardom, so you two can hold hands together in the future. Well, mine's a little more significant. I mean, no, fine. George is doing it. How, how do you rate um, these guys' chances? Because I think from the UK, we might actually be spoilt with British-based drivers in the next few years. Of course, we've got George Russell, Lando Norris... Um, uh, the British Korean driver whose name has just popped out of my head for a second. Aiken, yeah. Aiken. And then a, um, a British Albon. Albon as well. So, you know, we could be really spoilt soon. Yes, there are four very, very good drivers. Um, all of whom I think, am I right in saying they've all won a race this year in Formula 2? Um, let me think. Yeah, George has won two. Lando's won a couple. Yeah, Alexander's won one and Jack's won one. So that's that's um, that's a pretty good score. Winning in GP2 and or stroke Formula 2 is a pretty good indication. Generally speaking, I prefer to see the wins on, on the first race, the feature race, as opposed to the sprint race, because I'm not a big fan of these reverse grid things. But, uh, you know, anyone who can win in, in Formula 2 is, generally speaking, good enough to be midfield um, in Formula 1. Okay, but then... You look at Lando Norris, he's doing all the right things, and then it only takes somebody like, I don't know, a multi 
billionaire to come in with two hundred million pounds worth of investment in McLaren, and suddenly it looks a bit dodgy. Anybody who thinks that Nicholas Latifi is going to get a McLaren drive because his dad's invested in the team is nine parts bonkers. Okay, so that's not what this is about. Can we break that down a little bit then? So Nicholas Latifi, F2 driver, his dad has gone in and bought eighty billion shares in McLaren. He's bought 10% of the McLaren group, including the road cars. He's done that because he sees McLaren as being a company that has value and will have more value in the future and because he's got loads of money. And you know, it, it might help his son a little bit. It might, probably won't because you know, Nicholas has got to be – to be a McLaren driver, you've got to be pretty talented. And you know, we have to see. He's won a sprint race in Formula 2. Uh, one of them. He's had a few podiums. He should be good this year, but unfortunately, he's been overshadowed by Elbon, his teammate. And both of them have had serious troubles with the ridiculously cheap clutches that Formula 2 has been used and need to replace because they just keep breaking. That's why you keep leaving people on the grid all the time. Um, which happened, incidentally, when they launched GP2 how many years ago. It was the same thing, the same people. They just bought cheap stuff and they had to fix it later. So um, I think that to, to, to imagine that, that Latifi is, you know, they're a wealthy family. They make the strolls look like paupers, believe me. <laughs> this is a big fortune. Um, and because it's actually two fortunes, not one. Um, Daddy's got a fortune and Mummy's got a fortune too. Oh, I haven't and got mom, any fortunes. Well, Mummy's fortune is only 11 billion, the family anyway. So they, they own most of the milk in North America, you know, before they sell it to you lot. Uh, and Daddy, Daddy makes sausages, among other things. He's a very big meat packing business. So, the two of them together are worth gazillions, and, um, and they, they seem jolly nice people. But it's been fairly clear for some time. I've been keeping an eye on them because you know when, when rich people like that turn up in Formula One, you sort of watch where they're going. And he has been with McLaren a lot in the last few months. In fact, in uh, Spain last week, he was sitting in McLaren watching his son racing in the Formula 2 race. And I thought, that's really interesting because his son is supposed to be a Force India reserve driver. Yeah. And um, and he could watch it somewhere else. So I, I was a little bit – I thought, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what he's doing up there. He was also having lunch with all the directors. So I thought, okay, well, you know, directors of big companies will always be very nice to very rich people. But I thought it's a bit odd really. So it didn't, it didn't actually strike me that perhaps he bought into the company. But there you are. Perhaps I should have done, should have thought about it through, thought it through. And the fact is McLaren needs some money, um, mainly because they need to pay the debt. It costs them an absolute fortune to buy Ron Dennis out of the company. So what they're doing is they're basically funding, refunding uh, the money and help them move forward in the future. Ah, see, I, I didn't really think about it from that point of view. So they wanted Ron Dennis out and they actually had to buy him out. It's easy for your average fan like me to get lost with who is a team boss, who is an owner, who's a part owner, etc. So Ron Dennis, was was that quite an aggressive kick out? Uh, it, it, it didn't come cheap, let's put it this way. I, I believe Ron has bought half of, um, uh, which county would that be? Um, <laughs> oh, a county. Oxfordshire, I think. He's bought a large chunk of Oxfordshire from a Russian person. He's intending to build a stately home on it. So um, obviously he had a couple of quid left over when he sold his McLaren shares. And let's face it, you know, he, he did a terrific job, Ronnie. Fantastic company that he created. And if you're going to call anybody the English Enzo Ferrari, it's wrong. Um, and, you know, and his reward for that, it may be painful for him not to be there anymore, but his reward for that is have as much money as he can burn in the course of the rest of his years. Yeah, well, I suppose that might be a, some consolation. Well, hundreds of millions go a long way to helping, I think. I'd love to find out one day. I'd love to find out. That'd be so good. I'd buy so many Summers F1 T-shirts. In fact, Joe, that's the next thing we need to do. Your face on a T-shirt. What do you think? Let's merch this. Oh, Lord. Well, my face on a T-shirt, I think that would frighten small children. You're, you're not into doing that, are you? So, I don't know. Maybe. Whatever. I, I've been thinking of making green notebook T-shirts, actually. Nice. Okay. I can help you with that for a significant <laughs> cut. Look, uh, so uh, the chat room here is saying, isn't it scary that we're getting to the point where 200 million is not being talked about to buy a race seat, as in would not be enough to buy a race seat. If you went to Williams... But, but, but it's ridiculous. This is, this is why it's total tosh, because 200 million will buy you teams. It won't <laughs> yeah. buy you a race seat. If, if 
Mr. Latifi had wanted to get a seat for his son, he could have bought Force India at 200 million, which is incidentally quite a lot of money. Pounds, that is. That's what Mr. Vijay Malia and his uh, cohorts want for the team. Um, so if he'd wanted to do it just for his son, there's a much easier way of doing it than buying, investing in a car company. But the fact is that if you're a very wealthy person and you like making money, you like doing business, if there's an opportunity to buy into a company like McLaren and you've got the money to do it, why not do it? You know, I think McLaren will go on being very successful for years to come. And I, and I have a vague suspicion that, you know, between in the next five years or so, they'll probably IPO it. And the shares will do what Ferrari shares have done. I don't know if you've been following that, but Ferrari shares have increased in colossal uh, numbers, percentage-wise. I, I can't even remember what it is. It's over 100% increase in value since they floated. So, you know, people want to own shares in companies. Um, and I think it's a good investment. So should Eric Boulier be worried at all that Martin Whitmarsh was knocking about the garages in Spain? No, 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 no. Because Martin Whitmarsh... Uh, got booted out of the team um, uh, by uh, some of the some of those who are still there were involved in the process, even if they didn't necessarily like it, they didn't stop it happening. So, you know, I think Martin um, Martin was just dropping by. He was probably sort of dropping in to see if anyone expressed any real interest. But you know, he got a monstrous payoff as well. He doesn't need to work again for the rest of his days. He's been in Bermuda working on the America's Cup. He's having a lovely life. He went to Italy the other day and um, Stefano Domenicali lent him a Lamborghini Miura to drive around. He was apparently he was terrified that someone would steal it, um, which apparently happens a lot in Italy if you have a fancy car. So, um, But anyway, he seems to be having a nice time. And I think the idea of coming back to Formula One, while it might appeal to him in some respects, you know, he's not a young man anymore. It's a tough life. And, um, and I think he did a fairly decent job. Uh, there are admittedly they didn't win much under his um, regime. They won, they won a few bits and bobs, but you know I think that uh, Martin's major problem is he's too nice a guy, really. If you had millions upon millions and millions of francs and you didn't have to do this anymore, Joe, but you wanted to keep your hat in with F1, what would you do? Would you be tempted to invest in a team? No, 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 no. That's that's for barking man egocentrics and. Um, I might at the moment because I think that the value of the teams will increase enormously. But if you've got that much money, you know, you just come down here, buy a <laughs> buy a mountain, sit on top of it, you know, uh, and watch the world go by. Why why do anything else, you know? But there are some people who are driven like that. They have to be uh, in the papers all the time. I'm not like that. I I would happily happily just cruise around, visit places I want to go to when I want to travel. See, I've traveled so much in my life that I don't really need to do too much more, um, except I keep doing it, you know. But um, if I had all that money, I'd just buy a really nice house and make it super lovely. Boo, buy an F1 team. Put Missed Apex on the side, inside F1. <sighs> Come on, red and white lo logo colors. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's one slight problem with that concept, and that is that the hundreds of millions that I was expecting from the, uh, from the sale of my wonderful... Uh, fascinating F1 facts. All the readers, I actually did say to the readers not long ago that if every single person who read the blog bought a copy, I would be able to fund my life for the rest of time. And of course, they haven't because nope. people don't like spending money. So, I mean, there's been a, a decent number of them, but there's plenty more. So if you feel deeply guilty about Joe not getting rich, I suggest you go and buy F1 Fascinating Facts, Volumes 1 and 2. It's an absolute bargain. It's fantastic, even though I say it myself. Um, and you go to flatoutpublishing.com to buy it. So there you go, Flat Out Publishing, which is you know, two things. It's either lying flat on the floor or going very fast. Yeah. I like It's like Mika Hakkinen. Think of Mika Hakkinen saying flat out all the time. And maximum that, attack. Maximum. That's actually maximum attack is Marku Allen, the rally driver. Of course, uh, <clears throat> that was his great um, saying. I go maximum attack, and uh, Finns are you know they do that sort of stuff, but they're usually quite fast. So that's the good bit. Yeah, I was thinking I had the same thought as well, Joe. If every listener gave me a pound, I could earn my year's wages before the summer. Uh, and then lounge around recording podcasts for the rest of that time. So consider it, you know, find a way to support me. I've got another question for you. Go on then. Now, when you cruise around on the internet and you come up against a paywall and you want to read it, do you pay? Uh, nope. So there you are, you see, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, yes, of course I do. I support <laughs> no. content creators. Ugh. 
that's that's the problem. Yes. Everybody wants everything for nothing, and consequently, uh, we can't we can't shout and say everyone's selfish and mean because we're doing it ourselves. So, you know, the fact is that if there's a nice quality product that you want to get, uh, time I think will change it. I think people will become more used to buying things, but just get on with it and do it now because I could use a few more quid. Uh, Ray Parker says getting GP plus is the best bang for the buck in the biz. But before you praise Ray too much, he also suggests Joe maximum attack. Sayward. Yeah, I'm going to put that in the notes for next week. Nice one. Uh, good. <laughs> right. Um, but if you had millions of pounds, presumably you wouldn't pour it into Williams. And that's what Mr. Stroll has found himself doing. And would you be calling for a refund? On hold, your on, son's hold, seat. Hold, hold on, hold on. Now, Williams, you see, Williams. has a very special place in my heart because, first of all, I love Frank. He's a fantastic man. And second of all, the very first motor race I went to, Frank Williams won his first victory at it, 1979 British Grand Prix. And so I've always been very fond of Williams, and uh, I'm, I find it painful to see the state they're in at the moment. So if I had hundreds of millions, maybe I would buy Williams and uh, and try and fix it up because it's still got a fantastic uh, heritage. It's got fantastic gear. It's got some fantastic people, and it just needs to be all directed in the right place. But having said that, just because you have loads of money doesn't mean you have the leadership skills necessary to turn a team around. You know, that's what they need more than anything else. They need a leader who will galvanize everybody into being ever so slightly frightened when the leader turns up. That was That's the secret of Formula One. If a team principal goes into, or a team boss goes into the workshops, everybody should go, and be a bit worried. And that means they'll work harder. And if they don't care when the team principal comes by, that's a sign of a team that's going nowhere. Apologies, that was Ray Thompson. But he's not scared to tell me, so I certainly haven't instilled fear. Uh, that was the chat room saying also that that was the worst Finnish accent they've ever heard. I'm trying. I'm trying my absolute best here. Um- if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So the question that Fonseca in the chat room says is, well, what would you do differently? What would you do if you were in charge of Williams right now? Uh, you need a leader. That's what you need. You need somebody who's got the oomph and, and the passion. You, you need a Someone like Patrick Head, who will shout at people, get out of the way, you silly fellow. And, you know, these sort of things that um, you have that drive, that that 
you need to have someone who leads. And, you know, Claire's a very nice girl, but I don't see her having that kind of power. Um, I don't see that from anybody there. Paddy Lowe, good engineer, but again, I don't see the power. And what you need is someone with that with that force of character to get things done. And actually, it's better with two two people with force of um, you know, character. Uh, Ron Dennis did it with John Barnard, the great forgotten uh, Formula One engineer, which is terribly sad, really, because he achieved such a lot and everyone seems to have forgotten about him. But I believe there's a book coming out soon. But the fact that uh, Patrick Head has got a knighthood and John Barnard doesn't even have an MBE is an absolute disgrace. So if anyone here is listening, get on with it and sort it out. An impassioned plea then from Joe Safe. Not an impassioned plea, just I think it's, I, I always hated the honour system anyway, because it's just stupid. You know, give it to some DJ and, and uh, forget about people who really achieve things, you know. Do anyway, you, enough of that. Do you remember in, um, I think it was China 2013, when Paddy Lowe was trying to deal with Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, and Rosberg probably had a bit of extra pace, but they wanted their new signing on the podium, and they actually in the end had to get Ross Braun to take over on the radio and just lay the law down for the drivers? Yeah, but I mean, no, Paddy's Paddy's got lots of ambition, um, and he's done very well for himself. But you know, you, there is a, there is a, a a gene, if you like, I don't know what it is, but there is this the the the, the drive is what's needed, and you see it in someone like Toto's got this drive to be successful. Nicky's Nicky Lauda's got it. Uh, Binotto at Ferrari obviously has it. I'm not sure about the rest of them down there, but um, you know a lot of the drivers have got this drive too. But drivers cannot, not in the modern age, they can't pick up teams and drive them forward um, in the way they used to be able to. Well, because they're, they're so much bigger. You know, teams are a thousand people. Yeah, it's not just a so garage you, of people to yell at and inspire. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably one of the things about Williams too is that you know there is a as teams grow or as organisations grow. Uh, you get to about 300 people and then you don't know everybody by name anymore. And there's a, there's a sort of a break point there where you have to manage things differently. And this is what successful teams have done. They've got to that point and found a way of managing things differently. And some of the older teams have struggled to do that. So, um, But driving forward in Williams this weekend, in the weekend just gone in FP1, was a very impressive looking uh, Robert Kubica. Now, I know that we think that maybe it might be different over a race distance and there was good reasons why he wasn't employed in the first place, but the optics don't look good. It looked like he came out in FP1 and was much the faster, better, more competent driver than Lance Stroll, and Williams wouldn't have enjoyed that even even if they wished Robert success. Well, what can I say? If you take drivers because they have large sums of money... If they have talent, which they both do, to be fair, Lance has got some talent and Sergei's got some talent as well. But do they have as much talent as Robert, even after his accident? That's an interesting argument. I don't know the answer to that. If he did, if they did uh, know that he had more talent, uh, would they have put him in? It's an interesting argument, isn't it? Uh, Because if you need money, you need money. And there's no point in having a great driver in a car with not enough money to develop it. So... um, you know, you, you need that money that they've, it's a terrible situation to be in. It's, it's a sort of downward spiral unless you find somebody with talent. But don't forget also that Nicky Lauda started out as a pay driver. You know, one of the great heroes of the sport arrived by getting a bank loan and basically buying his way in. And then you have to go from there to become a proven driver. And it's really hard to do. Once you've started paying, it's very hard to switch over, but it can be done. So, um, Let's just see what happens. I, I do think that they need, more than anything else, they need leadership. So, Good. A comprehensive answer. Uh, leadership required here on the podcast to make sure that your appearances here don't go unrewarded. Apart from the fantastic facts books, which you can get from flatoutpublishing.com, uh, direct everybody to the place where they can get the best race reviews in PDF. Every race, uh, within a few hours, they can get full comprehensive magazine-style coverage. GrandPrixPlus.com. Wouldn't miss it for all the world. I can't avoid it, actually, because I <laughs> create it. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an old-style magazine PDF. You can download it. We have some enormous number of them now uh, in the archive because we've been doing it for 11 years. So 11 times 20 is whatever. It's quite a lot, isn't it? 
Um, and you can download, download all of those, so you can have an entire archive of Formula One. I mean, it costs a little bit extra for the archive, obviously, but um, you know, you can you can have all of that in your own computer. You don't have to have shelves and shelves of those old magazines that always get in the way anymore. You can actually do it all electronically. But you could print them off. And uh, tell me a little bit about the photography that I'm, you have at GP Plus, because it's quite impressive. Sorry, print them off. How <laughs> ridiculous is that? Um, we have Peter Nygaard, who is a Danish photographer, who's done about uh, 560 Grand Prix, probably, based in Copenhagen. The only man I know who has a Formula One car in his office. What? Yes, he has a Tyrrell in his office, which he bought off Ken Tyrrell in days when photographers made more money, I think. Um, and Peter has a very big archive as well because he buys in uh, old archives when he has the opportunity. So he takes photographs at all the races. Of course, at the moment, he's very into Kevin, obviously. I was um, going to ask, yeah. Den- Denmark Denmark hasn't had a Kevin before, so he's very excited by Kevin. Uh, but he also works for the Swedish market, so Marcus is there as well. So, um, And he just takes very good photographs. And it's remarkably difficult to do if you're a one-man band. Um, you know, if you're an agency, you can have people at different corners taking different angles. Um, but Peter does a remarkable job. Usually he's on his own. Occasionally um, he comes with a colleague and occasionally one of his daughters comes because they're photographers too. So, um, you know, they are, it, it's a, it's a, he's a very talented man. So there we go. And he runs marathons in his spare time. And he's got this weird thing about Springsteen, but that's another story. Too young for that reference once again. So he, <laughs> he is a Magnuson fan. Uh, actually, oh, Mag- just a bit, yes. But the thing is, Magnuson, he's always looked like he's got the dynamic approach to be a good F1 driver. And But this season, this season, he's looking really impressive. Fair enough, his teammate on the other side of the garage might not be covering himself in glory. But the Haas team has scored points. It is looking strong. And if I'm not wrong, uh, Magnuson has scored all of those points. Uh, I'd have to look it up, to be honest. I think... Uh, Chat room? Has Grosjean got zero points? I believe Grosjean has zero points and Haas is still doing pretty well. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, to be honest, <laughs> I haven't really sort of thought about it. But no, Kevin is Kevin has always been a great driver. He took a huge knock back when, uh, when McLaren dropped him. And that, emotionally, that was tough. But he's, a, he's tough as nails. He's quick. Um, and he's, you know, he's a real proper fighting Viking type, you know. Mm. So he doesn't, there's no compromise involved with Kevin get in Kevin's way and he's coming through and hit you on the head with an aura as you go past as well I think it's a shame that we have such this um, this social media stuff now is that there's so much negative feedback when the drivers do anything that they've had to close in on themselves when you've caught Kevin Magnussen in those kind of off moments or just slightly on camera he seems like a really fun nice guy then you point a camera at them and they are defensive they're under pressure they're stressed and then you look at Jolian Palmer as soon as he then goes on to BBC you go I would have a beer with that guy, but when they're in front of camera, you just go, "Oh my god, what a what a prima donna, yeah. what a pain, what a moody git." No, it's not that. It's just that. Well, there are two things. One is that they are Jolian's Formula One career is done, so he's got nothing that he can't say now, uh, and and you know he's probably got a few interesting things to say about some of the things that happened to him. Um, secondly. When you're a driver, you can't dare risk saying anything controversial, even if it's an accident. So you are naturally defensive, and it, it's very bad for the sport. The only guys who are allowed to get away with that sort of thing are Max and, and Daniel, who say pretty much what they want, and the older guys, the ones who are fully established, like Alonso, uh, Vettel, Lewis. Um, they will, if they want to, they will come out and say what they want to say because they don't feel under threat. But any young driver you know, is just sort of terrified that they'll say the wrong thing. And which is which is terribly bad for the sport. We need we need to have the characters. And Kevin is a is a real character. You know, he's a proper old school racing driver. He loves the history of the sport. He reads books about the history of the sport, which is extraordinary given you know um, the current generation. Yes, books. You know those those bits of old tree that knock around. I'll interrupt you there for a second because I was reading the comments and everyone's asking when's the electronic version of your books coming out. And I can just see you going, going electronic version rubbish. These kids these days. No, but I think that you know I could probably produce an electronic version. It would be cheap, and therefore the the uh, the uh, the profit margins are not as good. Um, otherwise, it's also you seem to have forgotten the joy of sitting in a chair reading a book all day long, and coming out of this world you know, reading it on iPads and 
whatever other silly machines you have, um, it's not quite the same. Where if you want to read it on that, you're going to end up squinting for the rest of your days because your eyesight will disappear. You have to wear great big glasses like Joe 90. You'd never heard of him either, I suppose. I'm not as young as I look, but yes, Joe 90 is a very old reference, Joe. Uh, You've alienated half our audience. In fact, here, let's have a go. Andy Whitney is giving us some information on Grosjean that says Grosjean does indeed have penalty points, though. So, yeah, there you go. Yes, he has zero points, which is less than Marcus Ericsson. He got a lot of penalty points last weekend in Spain, and deservedly so, because it was a rather daft move. I I can see what he was trying to do. But it, it didn't work and it was never going to work. So, um, you know, uh, it was very dangerous. Let's so talk about that. Do you reckon yeah. there's uh, any frustration coming through there? Because he was pointing towards a herd of F1 cars and just floored it. And as it, even as it was happening, with all that smoke going up in the air, everyone around the world just got their head in their hands. You know, we're thinking uh, Spa 98 with, with all that carnage. We're thinking European 1999 Grand Prix. And, and actually, you know, for the grace of science, it, it could have been a lot worse. Yes, it could. It wasn't a smart thing to do. And yes, is he, is, has Kevin got in, uh, got into his head? Yes, I think he has. You know, Roman is looking at, uh, this could be his last season in Formula One if he can't hack it with Kevin. And, you know, that's, that's something that he needs to worry about. But having said that, worrying about it is not going to make it any better. You just got to get on there and do it. Um, and he does seem to be struggling with that. He's still a very quick racing driver, but, you know, he does do some funny things sometimes. Yeah, poor guy. So do you think the punishment was enough? I mean, I I thought that was worse than what he did in Spa, and I would have thought a race ban would have been appropriate, but they haven't gone that way. Well, he's older, and uh, no, I think it's an interesting argument as to what what he should have got. Um, And I think it probably... Well, I think he got off lightly, let's put it that way. Ah, good. Oh, I'm interested to hear you say that, because you and I had been talking about uh, how the stewards make their decisions offline. And um, obviously in that situation, there's there was no other party to blame, really. I know Magnussen was in front of him, might have caused him to spin, but the whole crossing the track was was just him all on his own causing an accident. Yeah, I mean, he would have, if he just let it um, fall off, he would have gone into the gravel, would have thrown some gravel onto the road, might have caused some kind of trouble. But yeah, accelerating across in front of the pack... Uh, was not the smartest thing he's ever done. I'm sure he would admit that now. Um, you can see what he was trying to do, and he explained to the stewards what he was trying to do, and they accepted it, um, that, but it wasn't the right thing to do. So, you know, uh, and, you know, they had, they have, uh, the, the stewards' panels now have a driver on each on each panel, and the drivers have a pretty good idea. They're very sensible people, most of them, and they have a pretty good idea of, um, of you know what drivers should and shouldn't do so i think he was lucky do you think they should televise some of those steward decisions and open that up a little bit to the public no ah no well, why you know, do you do you well i suppose you do in some sports yeah you have the refereeing um but i think it's best to let them get on and have their discussions and then come up with uh, a judgment without TV cameras and, and people with microphones getting involved. Tell you um, what, when, yeah. when we started the show, we had the glorious sunshine coming in from Provence, casting beautiful rays onto your face and the sign that and it's I'm got the, dark. I'm in the darkness now. You are I, in yes. the darkness now, which means we yeah. must be pressing on into this show, into the 18th edition of Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex podcast. Uh, make sure you follow the show online on Twitter. We've got at Missed Apex F1 and that gives you all the show news and admin and everything like that. Or you can follow me at Spanners Ready to find out what I'm up to day to day. Joe Sayward is at Joe Sayward, believe it or not. Also, GP Plus magazine has an account which is at Grand Prix Plus, I believe. And that account is growing very quickly. Work of genius, that is, yeah. Very I don't good. know how we came out with that idea. Credit to Mrs. Sayward <laughs> then. She's doing a very good job running that account. Uh, but she is. She's doing a super job. So Since we're running out of time, uh, I, I, I caught something on your blog that I was reading earlier that was like, oh, yes, Red Bull, they're building a new facility. Uh, yes, they're expanding. They're going to invite people to buy this, that, and the other. And, oh, yes, by the way, uh, they're going to go to Honda, who are going to take over as a factory team. What? Is that what you think? Are we about to lose Red Bull? No. That's what no, you no, put no. in your blog, Joe, or have I read wrong? Don't, you've read it wrong. Uh, what, I was, what I was saying is that they are likely, I don't know how likely, but I 
I think they're quite likely to, and I believe that Matthew Carter said this on one of your shows, they will, they will have Honda as their engine supplier. It just makes sense. They need to do it this year. Um, so 19 and 20, they'll get two years with the Honda engine, and then they can decide beyond that whether they go into the new formula um, with Honda or not. But uh, if you've only got a customer Renault engine and Renault factory team is getting better all the time, it is logical to switch to something else. So you are the number one team of another manufacturer. Even if we think Honda is not very good, Honda is now close enough to Renault to make it a sensible choice. What You think that the Honda power unit is getting closer to the Renault power unit? Yes, I do. And the other thing to bear in mind is the fact, of course, that uh, if you are a customer of Renault, you have to pay, particularly as Renault don't necessarily like you very much. Um, and if you have to pay, that costs a lot of money, even if you're jolly wealthy. Um, and if you have Honda, they're going, to, they're going to pay you and give you engines for free. So there's a financial element as well as being a... Um, uh, a technical element. Ah, uh, they'll make money. Well, not making money, but just using the money to invest in things you need. So, you know, this is, I think it's quite likely they will switch to Hondas, yes. But you scared me. I'm sure you said there that there would be a view to Honda becoming, ah, so they would be the works team for Honda rather yes. than Honda coming back in. Okay. It makes more sense now. I've got to stop reading this at work, uh, unless anybody's listening, in which case I was reading it in my lunch break. <laughs> so, uh, we've got a great question here actually from our slack group um joe if you don't mind this personal question uh what was your favorite year of f1 ever i know it's a bit random and not to do what we we're talking about but i, I do i do want to know from someone who's been in the sport for so long what was your f- 2007 i'd imagine or 2008 with lewis hamilton's first title yeah no, not really. I mean, you'll never beat the uh, you'll never beat the showdown that there was in. Uh, 2008, wasn't it? The Brazilian showdown. That was just fantastic. You'll never beat that. But the rest of the season wasn't particularly nice. Um, the other thing is that when you're involved in the sport, it's slightly less magical than when you're not. Um, so, you know, it becomes, uh, you see, you see more of the seams on the inside, if you like. So if you ask me my favorite season, I mean, 1979 was a fantastic season where lots of teams had different chances of winning. You had Ligier win the first two. You had you had Brabham there. You had uh, Ferrari there. You had Williams there. Um, and it was just, you know, a lot of even even uh, McLaren were not far off. 82 was another amazing season. But this is before I got involved, you see. And ah. the magic is a little bit more magical if you're looking from the outside. And when it's a job, uh, then you see it in probably in a little slightly different way. So, I mean, there have been great moments all the way through. But in terms of just a fascinating season, I think 18, there were, uh, sorry, 20, uh, 1982, there were 11 different race winners, I think, if I remember correctly, um, which is fantastic. And, you know, that's the kind of thing. I mean, uh, these things happen more so in that era because there was lots of changes going on at the same time in engines and things. But... Um, in recent years, it's been a little bit too uh, one, two, three teams can win. You don't see four winners in a year, four winning teams in a year very often anymore, um, which is part of the development of the sport. 2012, but, but that was a bit of a maybe a freak start to the season. Yeah, well, I mean, it is, you know, it is uh, what you want is to have as many as possible. But the trouble is money. Um has become the deciding factor up to a point, and that's what needs to be changed to get it back to sort of sensible levels. So an interesting one, then. You're talking about the Honda engine, and actually Ray Thompson is reminding me that you said a couple of shows ago that the Japanese are extremely dangerous when they think when you think they're finished, and Honda seems to be on the verge of proving you right. So, I mean, everyone's, you know, there's an optimism now about Honda. Are we sure that we're not just because of low expectations and where they are in the Toro Rosso? No, I mean, they, they finished fourth in Bahrain. Fourth. You don't finish fourth unless you have a pretty good package. Now, following race, it all went horribly wrong again. But they finished fourth with the Toro Rosso, which is quite an achievement, really. So, okay, it may not have all the elements that the other power units have, but it's certainly getting there. And it's certainly, you know, once you've got reliability sorted out, you can move on to get more performance. You, you, you basically got to balance performance and 
reliability and it's a tough thing to do and as uh, Blue Tonic UK 28 in the chat room says, if you want to join us for these chats and get your questions into Joe, like what was his favorite year of Formula One, make sure you go to Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and click the little bell that's there and you will actually get a notification when we go live. And when you watch it on YouTube, it appears in the top half of your phone and you've got the chat room in the bottom half of the phone. So Lord Nuka is asking me for the third time. I'm going to ask him, I promise. Hartley. Hartley seems like a man really under pressure, which is a shame because the story of Hartley is so good that everyone wants him to succeed, but people aren't getting the feeling that he's performing. Um, I think he's got a lot to learn. And, you know, he went out of single seater racing for a long time, which is never good, you know, because you lose uh, a little bit of what it's all about. Now, he did a fantastic job with the Porsche sports car team. He's a double world champion, won them all, all these kind of things. But he needs to get back into the mindset. And it's been a lot of years since he was away. So, you know, that's that's fundamentally the problem. Will they give him time to do it? I don't know. Does he have the talent to do it? Probably he does. Yeah. We'll have to see. Generally speaking, um, they're pretty ruthless at Red Bull, Dr. Marco. Um, but I hope that he'll give him uh, rather more time. I mean, Dr. Marco has acted some great talents. Yeah. As we're seeing in Formula E at the moment, Jean-Éric Verne wiping the floor with all the all the regular Formula E guys. He should be in Formula One, and it was wrong that he was kicked out. It's just, you know, he wasn't quite as good as Daniel Ricciardo, which is terrible that they they sort of kicked him kicked him out for that reason. And then there's rumours that he, if he is replaced, surprisingly, Verline is being talked about. In for that role, yeah, but that that's hand that, that's Franz Tost, and, and Franz right. Tost doesn't call the shots. Uh, Marco calls the shots, so I think that Marco has already said what a lot of rubbish. But Tost is very big on Verlein. I'm big on Verlein too. I think he's very talented, but uh, he has one or two. Uh, he's not an easy character, or at least certainly that's the impression that he's given sometimes. Um, and you know, he he he's almost as talented as Ocon but um, said the wrong things at the wrong times, you know. So these are things that happen in Formula One. That's hence my story about, you know, uh, you've got to be careful what you say. Yeah. So, yeah, Gasly being a, a very good example of that, allegedly, uh, according to rumour, according to legend, uh, with his comments in Singapore of uh, before Singapore 2016, I think, if my memory's serving me properly. Uh, but there, there is a, a fascinating kind of driver shuffle coming up it seems like this is a really good time going looping back to being an f2 driver it's a good time to be an f2 driver because there's a lots of lots of seats undecided and there's a you know a lot of room to impress if you're a young driver yeah but there's also a lot of need for experience in formula one so you'll see people like kimmy um and you know these kind of people who've been around for a long time will be kept much more so than giving a youngster a chance, which isn't necessarily the right way of doing things. But I understand why they do that, because there's so much to learn. You know, some of these drivers can't even work out which buttons to press on, on the steering wheels. There are so many of them. And the combinations and, the, and the, you know, the different ways of doing things. It's just, it's more than just driving racing cars around now. It's, yeah. it's so complicated. Um, and, you know, that's, that's kind of sad in a way. Because what you want is to have the uh, the sort of you know, mad Viking approach. I can hear the ocean waves crashing against the rocks next to you now. I think it's rain, actually. It is actually pouring with rain here now. Ah, it's so. atmospheric. We'll, we'll take that, absolutely. Atmospheric it is not. It looks like Bamborough Castle on a wet Saturday night now. All right, well, finishing off then, your, your favourite topic in the world at the moment is Ferrari obviously. Uh, and we have got DB in the Slack group asking about their strategy for managing what what is looking a lot like customer teams at the moment. Matthew Carter said, no, that is against the spirit of F1. We don't want people to compete like that. However, I, I, the way I see it, has have come in, done something nobody else is doing. And if they can open up a model that will bring more teams in, then I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, but, they've, but Ferrari are kind of they're double hatting it with Alpha and Haas. So if, if Alpha start to take on a little bit more of momentum and more of the customer mantle, are they going to drop Haas? How does that work? Haas might drop them. Ooh. You know, no, no, they might. Well, know, they have to give their 2017 Haas, chassis back. No, Haas has to have, Haas has some ambition. That's, that's, I'm not even going <laughs> to bite, bite on that. One. It's a, a ridiculous comment. But, um, you know, 
house have got to move on. They arrived in it, they did it the right way to get to the level they're at. Now you've got to go up and grow up and get bigger if you want to be in the big game. So if I were house, I'd be out there looking to try and do a deal with some American manufacturer or something, you know, to try and get something new and different. So, you know, come on Ford Motor Company, come on Chevrolet, um, you know, whatever. Um, but just to be, to just get established is the hardest thing. And so if you're allowed to buy a lot from a team, as let's face it, Force India did much the same model, just that House took it a bit further. Um, and if there are more in the future, well, good for them. You know, I see that happening with Alfa Romeo, Sauber, whatever you want to call it, um, because it makes sense. You know, it, 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 it's financially a great idea. And, uh, and that's the way to do it. So I also agree with Matthew that you don't want to lose too many real manufacturers because that weakens the base of the sport. But uh, we also saw that with Toro Rosso, of course. Um, which was utterly dependent on Red Bull a few years ago and has since had to build its own infrastructure in order to be divorced from Red Bull to a certain extent. Joe, are you looking forward to Monaco? Who's going to win it? Who's going to win it for you? Come on. This is not a track that Mercedes are going to do well at. They are scared because they know they've had dodgy races in the past few seasons. So it's surely a shootout between Red Bull and Ferrari. I would think that's a fairly safe call. Yeah, <laughs> I would, I would, I would say that. Uh, well, you can never underestimate the input of the driver around Monaco as well. So, you know, good drivers go around Monaco better than poor drivers. So, even with a car problem, I mean, the thing about I think we'll see what we will see is Williams doing rather better here. Everyone's sort of down on Williams at the moment, but. Uh, Williams is not good at high-speed corners. Monaco doesn't have very many of them, so Williams might be better with a Mercedes engine to oomph them up the hill. I expect to see them doing rather better. I expect to see Force India doing rather better. Um, I, If I was a gambling man, I'd say somewhere between Vettel and Verstappen would be a good place to look. But we'll have to see. I mean, you know, and it's also, it is now pouring with rain outside. And so, <clears throat> goodness knows... Um, what will be hopefully it won't be raining because Monaco in the wet is a bit dull to be honest oh I don't know uh, Hamilton well, it's, very, it's very exciting yeah it's, you know in terms <laughs> of I mean as I said before in 1984 I watched that famous race in the wet and it was spectacularly fantastic but you know it's, it's pretty miserable at the same time anyway there you go I don't know from watching it on telly I think we could do with a splash of rain. So I apologise for having a different rain dance to you, Joe. It's the right of every human being to have a different <laughs> opinion. They may not be right, but there you are. <laughs> Everybody, poor Joe and his financial woes of not getting enough money and not being a billionaire. Let's find out from you, Joe. Where can people give you money in the form of exchanging it for your writing talents? But do I have to go through the whole lot? just the things you want people to give you money for. Well, I can barely hear myself think with that music in the background. It's called a radio bed. It's dead broadcasty. Fine, I'll turn it off. I don't want to get any more angry comments on your blog, Joe. There you go. You won't, you won't get any angry comments. No, I mean, if you like Formula One and you want to know more about it, fascinating Formula One facts, volumes one and two, are just fantastic stories. You wouldn't imagine half of them, and they're all true. And so you can buy that, as I said, on flatoutpublishing.com. And if you want to see proper reporting of, of Formula One races, GrandPrixPlus.com. And if you really want to push the boat out and get all the good news, you can always go to actually flatoutpublishing.com and look up the newsletter because it's there. JSBM, it's called. I think I'm going to get your newsletter so I can appear smarter than I actually am. That's a good way of doing it. And guys, make sure as well you tune in to Missed Apex Podcast's latest shows, including Tech Time with Summer's F1. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com to find all shows, video, audio, your choice. Also join us for the Monaco Grand Prix race review on Sunday at 8pm UK time. Find us Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. I'm Spanners Ready. That was Joe Say with Inside F1. Can you, can you actually see me at all? I, I look as though I'm in the dark. But now we're not in the dark because you've illuminated oh. Inside F1 for us. 
Yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah. Oh, oh, you could have done that like half an hour ago when we were in the chat room's going, Joe's not getting the hint. They've got little emojis of light bulbs and everything. Oh, that's better. Could have had that from the start. <laughs> well, yeah, it's backlit though, isn't it? So, <laughs> Good. Not my, my back is not my best side, darling. You know how to... <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.